Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today, 30 Minutes features remarks made by historian and educator Dr. Michael Engs. He was a featured speaker at Tapestry of Tucson, a centennial celebration presented by Tucson Pima Arts Council's Community of Practice members at the Dunbar Center. With Black History Month coinciding with Arizona's Centennial Statehood Celebration, Dr. Angs presented his talk, Peregrinos Negros, Africans in the Spanish Colonial Period from 1519 to 1821. Dr. Angs is on the Speaker's Bureau of the Arizona Humanities Council, and he's a volunteer for the Tucson Presidio Trust. He strives to bring this little-known period of history of black people and their extensive contributions to the settlement of the Southwest to a broader audience. Here is Dr. Michael Engs on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI, Tucson. I want to welcome you all to a little piece of Arizona history. For the last several years, due to the encouragement of my mentor, Gloria Smith, who sits in the back, I have been studying the history of the peoples of Arizona. This history is very little known because we don't consider it United States history. We consider it Spanish history because these were a Spanish-speaking people. I have walked, I have ridden my bike, I have driven south to Mexico, north to Santa Fe, further north to San Francisco. And I'm wondering, why is it that we're only celebrating 100 years? We all go back hundreds of years. If we're Native Americans, thousands of years. If we're black people, 475 years we've been in Arizona. We should be celebrating some sort of quadrennial not a centennial, because the first non-native person to come to Arizona was an African person. Our stories are deep here in this soil. We are courageous men and women who walked into the unknown, never knowing what they would find to be free. These are the people that we come from. And I call them, because they would have been Spanish-speaking people, Peregrino Negro, wandering blacks of the Spanish colonial period. These are their stories. These are your stories. Because any time you tell the story of one person, you tell the story of all people. And there were Spanish people in this story. There were Native Americans in this story. And of course, there were Africans in this story. And the story begins with a man named Juan Garrido. That wasn't his real name. See, he was captured off the coast of Portugal in 1500. Think about how long ago that was, 500 years almost. He was taken by the Portuguese and sold to the Spanish. He was then brought to this country through the Caribbean by his owner. And in 1519, he found himself near Veracruz, Mexico, 
with a man named Hernan Cortez. Now, Cortez was crazy. This is a crazy man, okay? Because on the first day after they arrived, he burnt the boats so they couldn't go home. Because there's only 500 of them and 16 horses, and he was telling them, you're going to conquer the entire Aztec empire. With 500 people? Sure. Sure. Okay. And so what happened was, they marched inland. And something very important happened, because Juan Garrido became one of the most significant people in the history of this place. For many reasons. First of all, they went to the Mexican capital, which was then called Tenochtitlan. It was one of the most beautiful cities in the world, with canals and sewer systems. The Spanish said it was even more beautiful than most of the cities of Europe. And they went in and they captured the king and took him hostage and said, we're not going to give him back to you until you fill up a room of gold for us. Well, the city was built on a lake, so it had bridges over the canals. And these bridges were what the Spanish were going to have to cross to get the gold out. And of course, the Indians didn't want that to happen. These were Indians of the Triple Alliance, the largest tribe being the Mexica. And they fought fiercely with the Spanish. But finally, in 1521, the Spanish defeated them, took over the city, and Juan Garrido, the African man we're talking about, was given his freedom for his military service. He was also given a piece of land, and he built the first chapel in Mexico, and a room on the side for himself, and he planted a garden in the back. He became the first master of arms at the city court in Mexico City. So here we are represented in 1521. Already a black presence is establishing itself in Mexico. But the most important thing that Juan Garrido did was to bring this. There was a shipment of rice that came to Mexico. And Hernan Cortez found that shipment. And in that shipment were three stalks of wheat. And remember, there was no wheat in the New World at this time. And Juan Garrido planted the wheat in his backyard. And it sprouted. So he planted some more. And that is why there is bread here in the Southwest, because of Juan Garrido's garden. He actually crossed Mexico to the Pacific, trying to find a way across by boat with Hernan Cortez. But the other thing he did that was probably the most harmful to African peoples was he was there with Cortez when Cortez decided to plant sugar cane. Now we know as we look at this decision that the Indians were smart enough not to want to do this job. They didn't want to cut sugarcane. They did not want to work in a mill where sugarcane was being processed. So they had to import other Africans as slaves. And in this time of 1500s, more Africans came to Mexico than any other time in history. 
But because of the influence of the Catholic Church and because of their military service, many of them were becoming free. They were buying their wives out of slavery. And by 1624, a hundred years later, most of the Africans in Mexico were free people, 70%. You see, the slave culture was not growing up here. And if you look at this period in history, think about what we learn in school. We learn about the blacks that came to Virginia 80 years later. We learn about the pilgrims who came to Plymouth Rock 100 years later. But we don't learn about ourselves as black people who came here in the 1500s and helped establish this place by doing the basic work. Because the Spaniards were basically here to get rich. They used us. The more slaves you had, the better dressed they were, the more status that you had. And so those free blacks said, we are leaving. We are going north to what was called Pimaria Alta, the frontier, what we now call Arizona. And in 1538, the first non-Indian person, Esteban, we named a park after him just up the street, crossed what is now the border between Mexico and Arizona. Now his story is amazing. Because remember, he started his journey in 1528 in Florida. He went ashore with 300 Spanish on what we call the panhandle of Florida, the north western corner and they couldn't find their way back to the ship so they thought oh we're just gonna walk back to Mexico City but if if help me help me here anybody know geography it's not my favorite subject but what's in the way water the Gulf of Mexico right how about how about Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana and Texas and Georgia it took them eight years to walk back to Mexico City, and only four survived. Esteban, his owner Durantes, Cabeza de Vaca, who wrote the story, and one other. Eight years. They were enslaved by Indians. They were starved. But instead of being overcome with these hardships, Esteban flourished. He became a healer. He became a man who could speak all the Indian languages. He got stronger from this journey. So here he is in 1536 in Mexico City, and the king's representative, the governor of New Spain. Remember, New Spain is a country that stretched from the Yucatan all the way north to San Francisco, Tucson, and Santa Fe. And the viceroy was in charge of it all. And he believed that seven cities of gold existed somewhere near Santa Fe. And he told Esteban, you are going there to find them for me. And he assigned a man named Fray Marcos de Niza, a priest. And he sent him and Esteban on the first non-military expedition north from Mexico City. Well, on the journey, you have to remember, Esteban was a very popular figure. He was said to have an entourage of 
300 people. And he liked to have a drink every now and then. He liked women. And he was a very worldly person, which did not sit well with Fray Marcos de Niza. And so Fray Marcos says to him, Esteban, why don't you go ahead? Go ahead. And as you get closer to the seven cities of gold, send me a cross. And the bigger the cross, the closer you're getting. I wonder what Esteban was thinking that day as he walked away from the only person who had any control over him. Hmm? And when he looked back and saw Fray Marcos in the distance, he must have realized, I'm a free man today, and I'm never going back. We'll continue on 30 Minutes, KXCI Tucson, with Dr. Michael Ang's presentation, Peregrinos Negros, Africans in the Spanish Colonial Period, from 1519 to 1821. So he walked ahead. He tried to get as far ahead of Fray Marcos as he possibly could. And he kept sending back crosses, big ones, bigger ones, as if he was right near the cities, okay? As if he had found the seven cities of gold, okay? He walked up to St. John's, past the White Mountains of Arizona. He started coming up the San Pedro River, crossed over into the Gila, and they say, they say that the Zunis stopped him. They didn't like him. He was accosting their women, they say. He had a gourd that was belonged to their enemies, they say. So they killed him, and they cut his body into parts. But nobody ever found it. Nobody ever found it. Now, he had traveled from Florida to Mexico City and now into the Zuni country of New Mexico, and he's going to let the Zunis kill him, but they never found the body? Fray Marco says, yes, I was so fearful that this would happen to me that I turned and immediately returned to Mexico City to tell my story. And the people who told me of Esteban's death were all killed. So they sent, in the next year, 1540, Coronado to avenge Esteban's death. And he gets there, and all of Esteban's entourage is still alive. Why would they kill just him? There was one person, one, one person missing. His name was Bartholomew. Now, Coronado knew Bartholomew's family. So he goes, send me Bartholomew. I hear he's still alive. Oh, no, we killed him with Esteban. He says, that's not what I hear. And if he doesn't show up tomorrow, you're in trouble. And sure enough, Bartholomew, Bartholomew shows up alive and well the next day. They didn't kill anybody but Esteban? Now, if I was Esteban, wouldn't I have created a story just like that? Yeah? I read this book. It's, it's here on my table here. Crossing the Continent. If you want to know of the story of Estevan, that is one of the best books, just written this summer by an English author who doesn't have the prejudices of some of the other people who are talking bad about Estevan over the years because they didn't want to give him credit. And so as a consequence, this author is saying, 
I decided to go talk to the Zuni about Esteban. And I had a very strange experience. Because the Zuni say the exact same thing the Spanish said. It's like they're repeating the Spanish story of Esteban. It's not their story. It's the Spanish story of Esteban. And the Zunis also say, as a peaceful people, we have no idea why we would have done that. We have no idea why we would have done that. I think, I think Esteban kept walking. I don't think he was killed by the Zunis at all. Because if we flash forward, remember the Native Americans in this period were basically very angry because they didn't want to be enslaved by the Spanish. And so as a consequence, they were revolting as early as 1650. And then in 1680, they revolted and destroyed so many of the Spanish in northern New Mexico that they had to leave, the Spanish had to leave for 10 years. Now the interesting thing about that is one of the people who was leading the Indian revolt was a large black man with yellow eyes called Mo. Where did he come from? Where did he come from? And as the people continued to go north later into New Mexico, they saw even more traces of African-based people. Where did they come from? So what we have here is a mystery, a mystery of Esteban's death. But we don't have to think of it as a mystery because we have so many other people who went north to find their freedom. Take the story of Isabel de Olvera, a 20-year-old black woman who goes to her mayor in northern New Spain and says, I am going to Santa Fe. We don't know why she wanted to go there. All we know is that Santa Fe was a month or two walk away. And by getting papers to prove she was free, she was ensuring her safety. Because in the Catholic culture of the time, to have a paper saying you were a free black woman meant you were under the protection of every man in that party. They couldn't harm you. And we know she made it because she's listed on the roll of the group of soldiers who made it to Santa Fe that year. She actually walked all the way. What bravery that must have taken in 1600. Because remember, the only road was a dirt track called the Camino Real. They traveled with groups of hundreds of people for safety. They were under the threat of Indian attacks at all times. And yet she went anyway. And hers is not the only amazing story of Africans in this period. We have the story of Nicholas, the town crier. This was a very popular occupation for people of color in this day and age. They were given a proclamation and they went from Mexico City as far north as they could get and they stopped in every village and town to give out the proclamation. And we know of Nicholas because in 1718, he was bringing the proclamation of the finding of the gold inspection, the mine inspection that was going to occur that year. Now that's an important thing because the story of Arizona is linked 
to the story of gold and silver. That is why we are called Arizona. You see, when Coronado went to find Estevan in 1538, and he returned to Mexico City, he was asked the question, what is it like up there? And he said in Spanish, it's an arida zona, an arid land. And there was also a word that he brought back from the Tona Opam, meaning place of little water that sounds exactly the same, Arizona. But what really nailed the name and gave it to us is the fact that another black man named Juan Chamorro lived just south of here in what is now Mexico in a place called Agua Caliente. And a neighbor of his, Antonio Ceramea, a Yaqui Indian, was walking near the village. And he looks down and he finds a piece of silver. It's so big he can hardly pick it up. It weighs 75 pounds. And right near it is another piece of silver. He takes the first one back to his hut and he gets his family together to go back and get the next one and see if there's any more. And of course, in a small town or village, everybody knows your business within five minutes. We know that. And so as a consequence, the whole village is now out there fighting and scrambling and for the silver that's just laying there. In fact, less than 100 yards away from the first finding of silver, this gentleman finds a piece sticking out of the ground that weighs over a ton. They have to cut it up to move it. Now fights break out, claim jumping, bloodshed. So the mayor comes in and says, this has to stop. So he calls in the army, Juan Batista de Anza. And Juan Batista de Anza says, a fifth of the silver has to go to the king. That is the law. So he confiscates all the silver, and he interviews all the people, and he divides up the silver, takes a fifth for the king. Takes weeks to settle the dispute. But finally, after it's all over, he turns to the mayor and says, when I send the silver back to Mexico City, I want to give thanks to you for your help in this matter. And I want to know what you call this place. The mayor is a man from the Basque country of Spain, northern Spain. And he says, I named the city after my favorite thing from back home in the Basque country, the good oak. And the word for the good oak in the Basque language of Spain is the word Arizona. So when this story gets back to Mexico City, when, everybody, when anybody gets newfound wealth, like winning the lottery, they go, that's Arizona. Finding wealth by accident. And the name sticks. So when the naming time comes, many, many hundreds, hundred years later, during the Civil War period, that is the name they picked. And that is why we are called this place, Arizona. Our stories go back hundreds of years in this place. We are standing 
in the presence of spirits who were brave and valiant people. This story of women and people of color and people who were not rich has yet to be written. You have the opportunity to write this story, to study this story. And someday, maybe you too will have the experiences that I have had, walking in a distant place and stopping for a moment and listening to the wind through the grass. And you will hear the voices of the spirits of these people. And they will say to you, like they said to me, we knew you would come. Thank you. I have basically tried to give you highlights of a history that's very deep. When I began this study four years ago, I didn't realize where it was going to take me. Now my bibliography is 40 books long. And in those books, sometimes there's only one paragraph about a person of color, or one paragraph about a courageous woman. And that's why history is still being written. We are still writing it. But more importantly, we are acting it out because to reenact history gives it power to your audience. I work with a group called the Tucson Presidio Trust for Historic Preservation. We do living history every month on Saturdays. If you like to do reenactments, if you like to shoot muskets, if you like to tell stories, we're looking for you. Thank you again. You've been listening to Dr. Michael Eng's presentation, Peregrinos Negros, Africans in the Spanish Colonial Period, from 1519 to 1821. Dr. Engs is on the Speaker's Bureau of the Arizona Humanities Council, and he's a volunteer for the Tucson Presidio Trust. He strives to bring this little-known period of history of black people and their contributions to the settlement of the Southwest to a broader audience. He was a featured speaker at Tapestry of Tucson, a centennial celebration presented by Tucson Pima Arts Council's Community of Practice members at the Dunbar Center. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager.